morning crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto. Jenna, also known as Jenna X, is in the building, and we brought the attorneys for this episode. We got Frederick Crispoli in the building, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing many things that our listeners are interested in, from American adoption to Ethereum gate, as well as Ripple buying a New York custody firm. We're going to discuss it all, but we're going to start this thing off the same way we always do by checking out the Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That is at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. Go smash that follow button for updates all throughout the day. And Johnny, we're going to get these introductions done quick because we made the people wait long enough. So first of all, how you feeling, my friend? And thank you for being here. Well, it wouldn't be the same if we didn't say good morning to all the Warrior Maniacs out there. We love and appreciate you for showing up every single day like true warriors. Thank you for that. And by the way, I am super excited. Not only do we have Jen in the house, we got Freddie as well. So I can't wait to hop into it. We have a pack, uh, 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 really a filled uh, show today. And it's going to be an exciting episode. Freddie, we're going to go to you last for introductions because like they always say, best for last. No offense, Jenna. But one of the things we're going to be discussing today is the impact of the Ripple lawsuit. Everyone's talking about how this is still an ongoing litigation. We're going to break down for our listeners why April 21st is such an important date. But before we get into all that, Jenna, first of all, thank you for being here. And how are you feeling this morning? Thank you for having me, Abs. Johnny, it's amazing to see you. I'm super excited to be on with Freddie. Like, I have not gotten to talk to him in a minute. So this is going to be such an awesome episode. I cannot wait to get into all the things XRP. And good morning to all you amazing warrior maniacs in the house. Love you guys. Well, Freddie, if you turn on the mainstream news this morning, everybody is talking about $50,000 Bitcoin. So I guess we have to address that during today's show as well. But we are going to talk about ETHgate and we are going to talk about the Ripple lawsuit. So first of all, how are you feeling, my friend? And thank you for making time for us this morning. Oh, I'm doing great. It's a new week and uh, things are going well over here in uh, the West Coast. The West Coast, that's a first, Freddie. And you know what? I'm not going to waste any time. I'd love to get straight into the interview this morning because one of the most important questions on everybody in the XRP community's mind, why is the resolution of this case so important? Ever since we got that ruling on July 13th, XRP in and of itself is not a security, but we're yet to see the United States adopt these technologies on a mainstream level, like we're seeing with Ethereum, we're seeing it with Bitcoin. I'd love to hear from you. What is the significance of April 21st, the official resolution of the lawsuit, as well as a possible settlement, could we see something major after that date? What's your takeaway? All right. So everybody knows that uh, last year in the summer, we got the great ruling XRP is not a security, but the case against Ripple is still going on by the SEC. And, you know, they are still trying to give it a death blow. Now they already lost first round, but they're trying to use this damages, um, litigation to see if they can get a little round two, a little second bite at the apple. They're trying to tell the judge, hey, all these ways that Ripple engages with institutional sales of XRP, how it does its ODL, how it's done um, its business since the judgment are securities transactions that need to be stopped, terminated, punished, whatever they can do to get as much money from Ripple as possible. And so they're trying to uh, re-argue anything that they lost. And so Ripple, if it was smart, and it is, and I'm confident in that, 
should have restructured a lot of the way it does business the day after the ruling came out on what constitutes uh, securities transactions for institutional sales. It should have restructured everything it could have to avoid getting swept under that kind of bad area, red flag area by the judge uh, in the order. And so they had, they just were recently ordered by the court to produce some contracts, some post complaint um, financial information. And so there's going to be another battle shaping up with this briefing. Briefing schedule starts in March and it ends in April. And that's the company and the SEC just fighting over what is Ripple still doing and is it a securities transaction or not? And so that's going to be all done in April. It's not quite when everything's going to be over. There's going to be a couple of months before the judge makes a decision on that. But my prediction is, and I was, I was hoping that the SEC was kind of moving on and focusing on other things. They're not. Uh, but I'm hoping that after this briefing is finally done and the judge makes a decision on damages, and I think the judge is going to say, no, nope, Ripple's changed all of these things. So it's the way it deals with institutional sales is no longer securities transactions, or it's not the same kind as, as they were when I dinged Ripple for it uh, in my order. Um, that these can go forward and, and there are no damages to pay here. Now, once this gets sorted out, if it's very favorable for Ripple, I think the SEC will finally realize that it's lost, that it doesn't have anywhere else to go. There's no point in appealing. And then they settle and the case is completely over. And let's all focus on that because that's the way we want it to go. Because, you know, even though Ripple's in the driver's seat, if there is an appeal, that's still a couple more years down the road. So, we're all hoping that they kick some ass in, uh, in, in this pleadings right now. And we got to hope that it's another good summer. Hey, Freddie, let me Freddie ask you. Go ahead, John. Freddie, let me ask you a follow-up on that. So help, uh, help our, our audience understand. We got a ruling in the case. They said XRP programmatic sales are not a security. And that was the big one that Ripple wanted. And they got that one. But yet, then you still everybody hear everybody say, well, the case is still not settled yet. We still have this penalty they got to pay for the institutional sales piece of it. But those are institutional. So why is it what is it that significant that this portion, the penalty they have to pay, is that what's holding Ripple back? Or the fact that they got the ruling that's not a security, shouldn't that allow Ripple to be able to move forward? Why is this so significant, the penalty they're going to pay on institutional sales, which has nothing to do with the programmatic sales? Can you help us understand the difference between those two things? Yeah, I don't think the issue is really the penalty at all. Whatever the amount is, Ripple can pay it easily. I mean, they have a lot of XRP in their treasury that uh, can help them pay anything, and it'll double, triple, quadruple in value um, You know, to make that not an issue. The issue is, institutional sales were deemed securities transactions. And these were sales at the very beginning of uh, Ripple originating as a company. So what is at issue is, okay, now the SEC says other things that uh, these sales encapsulate, encapsulate could be securities transactions as well. They're, gonna, they're trying to re-argue a little bit more and broaden the scope in this damages briefing. And so if the worst case scenario, which is what I think people are still waiting on or institutional um, 
entities are still waiting on is, is the SEC going to get certain other type of activity swept back into this securities ruling? Again, not XRP itself, not secondary transactions, but the way Ripple sells XRP now, the way it does its ODL, uh, the way it does other interactions with other companies, large scale institutions, are those going to potentially be securities transactions? I don't think they are. Ripple's got an enormous team of lawyers and other business uh, executives trying to work around it. But we need that finality. We're going we're gonna to see in this order, no, ODL is not a uh, securities transaction. No, the way Ripple sells XRP now is not a securities transaction. And that'll be, should be, the final leg, the final ruling we need in order to get this thing off the ground and get liftoff going. So just to be clear, Freddie, it's not a concern to you the fact that Judge Sarah Netburn ruled in favor of the SEC earlier this month, where she disclosed that they were going to have to reveal their financial records for both 2022 and 2023. And it's because of the disputes that you just broke down. So I'd love for you to understand or explain it in the most simple way possible. For an XRP holder out there, what changes inside of the United States once this case is fully closed? We're going to know exactly what type of sales that Ripple is engaging in that are institutional or quote unquote institutional. We're going to learn exactly how its ODL is working and structured and whether that's going to be called a securities transaction. So we're just going to get a very specific breakdown of how it sells XRP outside of the secondary market and whether that's swept into the uh, it is a securities transaction ruling from last year. So we're trying to narrow that down as much as possible, get as much out of that security zone uh, from last summer's ruling as possible, meaning um, and not just that, but when these transactions are inside the U.S. and outside the U.S., we're really um, putting the securities transactions in a box and we're trying to make that box as small as possible so everybody knows what is a securities transaction with XRP and what is not. So, Freddie, let me ask exciting. you one. Oh, yep. sorry. I have one last follow-up question for me, Freddie. So Ripple threw a big party in September in New York, proper party on September 29th. Was that premature, Freddie? It was not premature at all because that was to celebrate a long, long road that secondary users, which won and were vindicated, um, you know, that that marked the end of that battle and the success that, you know, everybody on the secondary market had. So, you know, we're still going forward on a much more important, well, not more important, but an important issue of institutional sales with uh, Ripple. But that proper party was well and damn worth it. And I know everybody had a great time that was up there. Yes, we did. Absolutely, guys. And Freddie, this is something I want to break down with you and Jenna this morning because Brad Garlinghouse made a major announcement when it came to United States custody and Ripple being the standard, right? With standard custody, which is the company Ripple is set to acquire today, we'll be able to improve existing product offerings for our customers as well as explore new products and use cases all in a fully compliant way. This is what we're debating right now, Freddie, is that I thought we were already in a, in a situation where Ripple had a strategic advantage. XRP in and of itself is not a security. But the more that I listen to people like Brad Garlinghouse and some of the custody firms in the United States, they seem to think that's a matter of opinion. So I just wanted to get a really clear statement from you. XRP is not a security as a matter of law. 
why is this still an open debate when I listen to some of the biggest players in Ethereum, Solana, and so on? Is this still a debate or is that a matter of fact? It is a matter of fact. It's a matter of law. And as of right now, I don't think that's going to get appealed. I don't think that could ever be changed on appeal. But, you know, some people, I think it's more of a smokescreen by these other projects and by some other institutions to still try and throw shade at XRP. So Ripple's just doing something smart. They're saying, hey, if some of these uh, big level providers and some of these other big players still want to throw that FUD around, you know what? We're going to go on a dual track. We're going to get our custody solutions in order and we can do the damn thing ourselves. Hey, Freddie, one legal question. Abs, one legal question for Freddie. Um, the court ruled it's not a security, but we know that Congress could create new law. If Congress comes out and we know they're talking about regulation, if they create regulation, could that affect or change or overturn or override, let not overturn, but override a ruling that you get in court? 100%. It can do it for the better. It can do it for the worse. But, you know, one thing that you said that was the key difference there is if Congress passes a law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't hold your breath for that one, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, Jenna, we're going to talk about how things are changing right now before our rise. Regardless of the Ripple lawsuit, this was a major announcement we received last week. And I'm going to kick it to you first on this article. Ripple and XRP payments are coming to the United States as a former Google, Amazon, and Ripple associate dropped a cryptic bombshell announcing this. Big news is coming for Ripple and XRP in the last couple of days. Sorry, in the next couple of days. And they already have money transmitter licenses in 34 states today. This license allows you to legally transmit money to monetary instruments such as checks, drafts, and wire transfers. While Ripple currently holds only 34 of these MTLs, 49 states are available, so they're clearly climbing in the right direction. And it's articles like we saw this morning that shows Ripple is dead set on conquering the United States payment sector as Ripple is going to be buying a New York crypto custody company to expand its U.S. options. Standard Custody and Trust, which is a New York charter, will be the latest acquisition to grow Ripple's regulatory qualifications. And although my highlights were away because I zoomed too in, I'm just going to read the most important line here. Ripple's president, Monica Long, highlighted that one of the major goals for the company in 2024 is to receive all 49 money transmitter licenses in the United States, enabling them to offer Ripple payments in every single state within this country. That's going to be a floodgate opening kind of a moment for Ripple because we haven't seen the utility from American firms. And I think this is a pivotal reason why. What are some of your biggest takeaways? And we'll kick it back to John. Oh, man. How can you look at this and not be bullish on XRP and the future of Ripple and to have the rest of these money transmitter licenses acquired by this year? And you know what? I believe Monica Long and I believe Ripple when they put this out there, they're not going to put out timelines that they don't think that they can actually meet. Like they're not going to do that to the community and they know what will happen to them. Right. But let's look at this acquisition. This is super important to Ripple because why? Tokenizing assets is a multi-trillion dollar industry. Think about all the things that you can tokenize abs. There's real estate, precious metal, corporate equity. You have, you can tokenize debt, art, collectibles, intellectual. There's, there's so many things, right? So to be a first mover on this is absolutely huge. That's why it's so important that they're doing the right things with the regulatory clarity and they're following all the laws and they're doing all of these acquisitions. This is going to explode. 
Well, Johnny, yeah. just to add to what Jenna had to say there, a couple of stats that were released in Ripple's latest report about tokenization. An asset manager named BNY Mellon did a survey where they found 97% of respondents said they believe tokenization would revolutionize the banking industry, as well as a report that was published in 2023 with over half of global financial leaders indicating plans to use digital asset custody within the next three years. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that, Johnny Crypto. The opportunity is not only sitting right in front of us, they're telling us where the industry is moving. One last thing before we kick it right back to you. For the first time ever, you remember when you made money in the internet run, you were not front running the institutions. You were following what they were doing. This is a different situation. Right now, retail has an opportunity to invest in many of these assets before big companies like BlackRock, Fidelity, and Citibank start leveraging these technologies. That's why I'm so excited about the future, not only for XRP, but for crypto in general inside the United States. But with this BNY Mellon survey indicating 97% of banks believe tokenization is going to revolutionize the banking industry, I'd love to hear some of your takeaways. Well, Abs, there's no doubt about it. Listen, Ripple's a very smart company. They have, a, they have very, very strong leadership. They see the vision going forward. They see the paths and the areas where they want to play in. Tokenization is probably going to be one of the biggest. So no surprise there that they're looking to play there. The question I have is, the last time I checked my history books, there were 50 states in the United States. I don't know why they're only going after 49, and which one are they not going after? That's what I want to know. Apparently, one isn't that important. But the reality uh, no, is- No, no, no. Let me, let me clear the rumors. Let me clear the rumors. It's Michigan. Michigan doesn't have a money transmitter license policy, so there's only 49 oh. states that offer that. There we go, folks. So there, there you go. Yeah, you have it. But listen, at the end of the day, I've been saying it from day one. If you want to play in the space- and we want to see press appreciation in any any crypto. It really starts with knowing that daily trade volume. What is the daily trade volume needed on an institutional level? And the best way to get there, or to draw a lot of to draw a lot of that, uh, would be adoption through tokenization. When tokenization comes, you know you hear you hear Larry Fink talk about it all the time. Tokenization is going to be huge. We're talking trillions, even quadrillions of dollars now. No one crypto or blockchain, I think, is going to get that all. I've been saying that consistently on this show for the longest time. But will we get a little piece of that big pie? That's all you need. And that can really drive press appreciation for, for XRP. So I'm looking forward to seeing Ripple. And it's so good to see them moving in this direction. In fact, you're going to see a huge battle of all these blockchains trying to get a piece of that tokenization pie. Freddie, I'd love to go back to you for this question, because one of the things we're seeing clearly in the market is that Bitcoin is becoming mass adopted, right? We've got retirement funds allocating 401ks into this product now. We've also got some breaking news I found uh, just last night where this is a major update. USA Bitcoin ETFs are gobbling up a staggering rate, outpacing the daily production of Bitcoin by 12 and a half times. That means if there's a thousand Bitcoin made every day, 12 and a half thousand are being purchased by the ETFs alone. I'm using this as a reference to altcoins, right? Because this is our conversation we love to have. We want to make our listeners money. The point of this show is to provide valuable information so our users can take it in and apply it to their own portfolios. The reason this news was so significant to me is because I was going through some of Grayscale's early filings back in December of 2020. They had offered a basket that was 30% Bitcoin, 30% Ethereum, 10% Solana, XRP, and 2% Cardano, right? The whole idea behind this is that there's a learning curve. To get into the crypto market, you got to know Coinbase. You got to have a custody service. You got to understand what's valuable and what's being adopted. I think when these ETF products are launched that are a basket of goods, a basket of these what we call qualified crypto assets, that's going to change the game because people aren't going to have to go through that learning curve in order to get access to these types of currencies. Maybe you can talk about how far away that is because in the United States, 
We don't have a single product that exists today that offers that diverse basket of digital assets. When could we see that take place from your perspective? Well, in terms of ETFs, we probably are still a ways to go on that one. If we go by what Gary Gensler and the SEC have done to date. And I always tell people that Gary Gensler is not anti-crypto. Gary Gensler is just doing whatever his paymasters tell him to do. And if they tell him, hey, you're pro-crypto now, buddy, then tomorrow he's going to be the biggest XRP proponent, the biggest Ethereum proponent than you've ever seen. So remember, we're not dealing with somebody who's got a lot of morals that are preventing them from, you know, doing a certain, you know, thing or not. So everything can always change on a dime in crypto. That's why it's so awesome. And that's why it's so fascinating. But yeah, you're right. Um, Grayscale has a product, uh, GDLC, that's got that uh, basket of crypto in there. And, you know, I was a very rich man on paper uh, a couple of years ago in the last run when I watched it go all the way up, but I knew it wasn't coming down ever. So I didn't sell a dang thing. Um, and you didn't I did have an exit that. plan, Freddie. You didn't I have know, an exit plan. I know you tell me that every time I bring it up. <laughs> I wrote it all the way back down. So you can still now, and as you said, though, that, that fund really, though, we call it a basket, but it's mainly Bitcoin and Ethereum with a few other things in there, including XRP. But you know, there are those products now. Bitwise has one. They're not ETFs yet, but they are on the horizon. They're coming. And how fast is, you know, fully dependent on the shenanigans and politics at the SEC. And guys, we already got 585 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Jenna, floor is yours. I mean, wouldn't all of these other cryptocurrencies need to have legal regulatory clarity before there can even be an ETF, right? Before any of these baskets. So while on paper, that sounds like a great idea, how realistic is it anytime soon? I don't think that it is. Actually, that's a great question. Let's follow that up. So Freddie, does, if, if an institution like, you know, BlackRock or whoever wants to launch an ETF, right? Now we know that BTC, they kind of had some clarity around. Does there need to be legal clarity for, let's say if they want to go and create an Ethereum, ETF or if they want to create a Cardano ETF or is the fact that they're going to take that and put that in a ETF, which by itself is already deemed a security, does the underlying asset have to be a security for them to do that or no? Curious to, to know what, what the rules are on that. Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, I can give you the, the overall answer, which is no. Now it gets real technical, real specific. That's a little bit beyond my expertise, but you're right. There's all sorts of ETFs that are other stocks, and those are securities. The ETF itself is a security. So whether any particular crypto has been deemed, determined, you know, subjectively said by the SEC to be a security or not, that's not going to matter in terms of preventing the ETF or not from getting approved. However, whether that underlying asset in the ETF is a security or not, really affects the disclosure rules of the ETF um, uh, administrators. And so there's a lot of different disclosure, whether the asset's a security or not. And whether the asset's a security or not depends on, you know, with, with the whole Bitcoin ETF issue was how well is the price? Is it manipulated? You know, even if we say it's a commodity. And so without figuring that out for Ethereum, uh, for Solana, for some of these other tokens, it makes the whole ETF process more difficult, more drawn out. And right now, according to Gary Gensler, much more hostile to the SEC approving something like that. 
Freddie, I got a trillion dollar question to ask you, and this is something nobody nobody for sure knows the answer to, but I'd love to hear some of your speculation. We've often highlighted the ties between JP Morgan and the SEC, and the reason that they went after Ripple is because that was one of the biggest competitors, not only to the banks, but to Ethereum. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. First of all, do you believe Ethereum is a security or a commodity? This is not a court of law. Nobody's going to hold you accountable. And, and But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts when it comes to the validity of what we're witnessing today. Gary Gensler is very afraid to make a definitive statement when it comes to Ethereum, but looking at the evidence in and of itself, it seems that in May of 2024, we are going to have spot products approved in the USA for Ethereum. That's going to be a game-changing day for crypto investors, not only in the US, but all around the world. The question that I want to ask you is, number one, do you believe Ethereum is a security? And number two, why do you think of all the projects that exist in the crypto market, Ripple was selected to be sued by the SEC? I'll say this. What a segue for some own self-promotion uh, for my account. We got, I, I'm reading this thing right now. This is uh, the SEC's brief in the case we're suing it. Uh, HODL law is suing the SEC on whether Ethereum is a security or not. The SEC has said uh, in court, in federal court, at the Court of Appeals, we don't have to tell you a damn thing on whether Ethereum's a security or not, and we're not going to tell you. So, we're going to see exactly what happens in that case. I got to get back to working on it after I get off the show with you fine uh, friends. But I don't think Ethereum's a security because I don't think much of crypto are securities uh, the way at least a lot of the big uh, cap cryptos are structured. But that's the problem is that we've got a rogue agency that seems to think it's subjective uh subjective musings on a trillion dollar industry can you know become law just because you know they decide to merely say something so you know as of right now the sec's position legally is that we haven't made a determination one way or another and i don't think they're going to say ethereum is not a security and that's why they're being so tight-lipped in the courts uh, why do I think that Ripple was targeted? Well, it's because they were going after the big boys. They were going after the banks and the way that you know money is moved all around the world. That's how the people in power stay in power, and that's why crypto is such a great thing for you know the average everyday person, the average everyday investor. And so, I think Ripple was a little maybe naive in trying to uh, work with a lot of the banks to you know, help them move money faster because all that ultimately meant was that these banks are not going to be gorging themselves off, off fees anymore. And so that's why we just talked about the last segment, standard custody, kind of moving to say, we can do this our own way. And then the banks are going to eventually catch on and realize that they're you know losing market share but they're not going to catch on until they lose that market share first so until then you know they're going to do whatever they can to you know break the knees of their competition and you know i think uh, as it'll come out that you know jp morgan probably made a lot of money in ethereum that's why they like ethereum it was very easy to corrupt that process and, you know, they're just trying to do what they always do, win at all costs unfairly and, you know, to the detriment of the average person. Hey, Abs, I think we just got some breaking news on Good Morning Crypto. Freddie, so you say you are suing the SEC on ETHgate. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, it is a little tangential. Ethgate is um, front and center in that lawsuit, but, you know, it's been going for a little bit. And what we're trying to do, our firm, HODL Law, is just force the SEC to say, is Ethereum a security or not the way HODL Law uses it? When we use Ethereum, we hold Ethereum for clients, when we transact on it, when we use it in the metaverse for, you know, some of our digital marketing efforts, is this damn thing a security? Because we don't want to get in trouble for breaking the law. So just tell us, are we breaking the law or not, SEC? And, and their response is, we don't have to tell you. So we're just suing it in court to say, tell us. And the SEC is saying, no, we don't have to tell you. And that's all, that's as far as we've gotten in this case. So we're, you know, we're not very far at all, but they've publicly stated in court, I mean, it's, they have to, you know, well, as we've all learned, they don't have to tell the truth at all when they're talking to a court, but they have at least put on the record that uh, they do not have to say whether Ethereum is a security and they have not made a determination on whether it is or not. Even though Hinman came out and said it's sufficiently decentralized and it is not a security. You remember that, right, Freddie? He's just a guy. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Right. And that's the unfortunate truth here, guys. But we're going to dive into some of the details as well before we go back to Freddie and Jenna. Stephen Arayoff put a fascinating tweet out just last night. He says, with growing speculation around the Ethereum ETF, it's evident that the SEC, which is led by Gary Gensler, is more involved in Ethereum than it appears. Gensler's indirect approval of the Prometheum CEO, or sorry, the Prometheum custody firm to design Ethereum as a security effectively endorses the ETF covertly. This is what's so interesting right here that we're witnessing, Freddie, is that the SEC just approved Prometheum to offer and custody Ethereum as a security. Mic drop. I really just want to give you the open floor. What is your reaction to that news? The SEC has uh, some backdoor dealings with a hand-selected company to you know, pick its chosen asset and shelter it and move it forward. I'm shocked. I can't believe that happened. Um I mean, you know, who knows what the hell is going on and, and what the SEC has in store for everybody, because they certainly don't share that information with the American public. Uh, but, yeah, I think they are going to try and backdoor it in as a security. And I think you're going to see a lot of crazy um, litigation kind of join in and get involved in the party. But. You know that I mean, there's no other way to explain it. Why else are we having all these weird surfacing of information about this crypto custody company? It's the only one approved, and now they can custody Ethereum. And why would a crypto security company custody something that's not a security? I mean, I think the writing's on the wall, and and we're going about to see this play out in real time. Thank God XRP is not a security. That is a matter of fact, my friends. And we got 620 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And we're going to get into what I would call a spicy article this morning from Stephen Arayoff as the, an Ethereum insider accuses the SEC's Gary Gensler of covert Ethereum involvement. And here's what stuck out to me, Johnny. Once again, the Chinese Communist Party, I'm reading directly from the article here, is involved in Ethereum and the things that are happening at the SEC, at least according to Stephen Narayoff. He said these claims intertwine with the suggestion of influence from the Chinese Communist Party, hinting at a complex interplay of interests affecting Ethereum's regulatory journey. This decision shows that Gary Gensler's actions are under heavy influence by the CCP, promoting questions about the consequences for alternative actions. For Gensler, Lubin, and Vitalik, the stakes go well beyond investor, investor interests. Their decisions have steered them 
onto an irreversible course. Something tells me a jail cell isn't all he fears, said Stephen Arayoff in reference to Gary Gensler. Amidst community speculation about the CCP's involvement in Ethereum, Narayoff responded with, exactly. It's been a long time coming, and there's no way they'll let all these efforts go to waste. If the SEC classifies Ethereum as a security, they should at least make it clear that you're investing not just in a currency, but in a centralized asset controlled by the CCP. I've never heard stronger words when it comes to Ethereum than that right there, my friends. But Jenna, I'd love to start with you. Well, well let's go to Freddie, and then we'll kick it straight to Jenna, because one of the things that catches my attention is the CCP is the last. Nobody wants to hear about Chinese communist connections to some of their favorite cryptocurrencies. But the question that I have that I think is much more important, if all this comes to fruition and all this plays out, Bill Hinman is found guilty, the Ethereum's connected to the CCP, does it change what's happened thus far? That's my question. If somebody owns Ethereum, I'm sure one of the biggest concerns they have is this thing going to go up in price or is this thing going to go down in price? If these prosecutions come to light and if these things are brought into a court of law and discussed openly, what do you think the impact will be on the Ethereum price in and of itself? I think as soon as the information comes out, it'll probably take a hit. But I think it would recover because the network is just so large now. There's so many use cases. There's so many other chains that are working on top of Ethereum, you know, as other layers that that facilitate it. And so I think it's going to survive just because it's gotten so strong and, and has built been built up for so long. So I don't think, you know, there should be a, oh, my gosh, this is going to, you know, be calamitous if something if some of these allegations, you know, are shown a little more light on them. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, it just depends on how far the government wants to go. How hard are they going to, you know, try and restrict your ability to use Ethereum if it goes that far and, you know, all these security designations are put in. So, you know, it's a little unknown, but I, I think it's just too big now. And I think that's a reason why the SEC never really ultimately went after Bitcoin. By the time they got off their asses, it just was too big and couldn't be stopped. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, you know, it's very sad when a project with that many ties to the CCP was allowed to develop and fester for so long before anybody really cared about it uh, to, to shine a light on it. But shout out to Stephen uh, for relentlessly pursuing this and uh, bringing the receipts, as he always says. Jenna, one more stat I'd love to share with you is that when we talk about Ripple, there's one thing that people talk about, the banker's coin, right? That's the number one yeah. thing we hear when it comes to Ripple and XRP. But looking at the evidence and the data in and of itself, Stephen Arayoff claims that the CCP is deeply involved with Ethereum, stating it's controlled. it controls 66% of Ethereum's circulating supply. If that's not a centralized banker coin, I really don't know what is. They debate the Ripple <laughs> coin every day. The escrow, Ripple's involvement in dumping on XRP, but that type mm -hmm. of evidence is what I find most shocking. 66% of circulating supply of Ethereum, according to Nereoff, is controlled by the CCP. What's your biggest takeaway? When people call Ripple the banker's coin, but Ethereum, the evidence states that's actually the banker's coin. I'm okay with people calling um, XRP the banker's coin because who holds all the money? The banks. I'm okay with that. But, you know, none of this is actually surprising. And I, I tried to listen and Stephen Nereoff actually released... Um, some NFTs that were audio of his conversations with Vitalik. They were a few hours long. It, it gets a little bit, you know, lengthy, but if you listen to it, you can kind of start to hear how the story progresses and everything. And I do really like that he is actually calling this out. You know, what may happen, who knows? I'm 
honestly thankful he hasn't disappeared yet because you know <laughs> we know what happens when you start to question um the powers that be but this isn't necessarily a surprise to me because if you were paying attention during the congressional hearings um who came but the uh, CEO of Prometheus, and he was there defending the SEC. He was saying the laws are clear. And we knew then after doing a little bit of research, it came out that he was indeed in bed with the CCP. And that's not tinfoil hat. There, These just are connections. But it already seems like these wheels have already been in place. Everything that they're kind of like the chosen one, you can kind of see who's in bed with who. And Johnny, I just want to highlight what happened last week. So Prometheum is the only U.S. registered crypto platform, and it picked Ethereum as its first product, stating Ethereum is a security. That's why they're able to offer and custody it within the United States. We got 605 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And yes, we are recording for XRP Unleashed. So I will be showing some of that trailer later in the show. But Johnny, what's your initial reaction to the Prometheum news? Abs, there's no such thing as a coincidence, my friend. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, this one company that's designed and able to sell securities goes and picks this this particular crypto of all the ones out there. Which, by the way, interesting because we know that Hidden came and said that it's sufficiently decentralized and not a security. And there's your boy right there, Terry Silver, coming out and saying that it is a security. Well, picking it. And being able to sell it as security. Very, very interesting. Completely conflicting results. And this is why, as Freddie was talking earlier, we need an answer. Just give us a damn answer. Is it security? Is it not security? Will someone freaking tell us what the hell is going on? Or will somebody in Congress get off their butt, pass some regulations, so we can finally start to move forward? Because the reality is, at the end of the day, you heard Freddie say earlier. He goes, I don't want to move forward with my clients if I don't know if it's security or not. And that's what's setting the whole industry back. We heard Jeremy Hogan. Say the same thing right here on this show. He was recommending his clients. Don't do nothing in the U.S. right now because we don't know what the hell is security and what is the security other than right now XRP. So the reality is I'm hoping that we will start. And we've already heard Yellen come out and say to Congress last week, she was asking them for stable coin regulation and non-security <laughs> Regulation. So hopefully ABS will start to get some of that and really start to move this industry forward. Because as you can see, the rest of the world, they are not sitting back waiting ABS. They're moving forward with regulation. It's here in the U.S. that we have this unclarity. And it's really, if it's really, really slowing down adoption of this technology. Well, what's the worst that's going to happen if they decide that, hey, this is an unregistered security. Ethereum Foundation is going to pay a little fine. Okay, big deal. And then move on. That's a great question for our man down here. Is it just a fine, Freddie, or, or what happens if, if people get caught using something that they don't think is a security, and then the SEC says, sorry, it's a security. Are we talking fines? Are we talking jail time? What are we talking? Well, you have to remember uh, uh, two overarching things about uh, criminal law, at least in the U.S., is one, it's only a crime if you get caught. And then two... <laughs> It's only a crime if you get caught and then the prosecutor, which you may or may not be buddy-buddy with, decides right. to actually prosecute you for the crime you were caught for. And so those are two huge issues that really would affect everything in the crypto world. Because uh, in terms of getting prosecuted, think about all these secondary transactions that happen on Ethereum every single second. I mean, what is it? Thousands, uh, tens of thousands. I mean, when you're adding in all the other layers that are on top of it, like there's just 
no way that a any entity can prosecute that many people and that many transactions. So, you know, to that extent, you know, there there really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Um, but this, but th what is important is you know these gatekeeper roles and where you can get the most bang out of the buck. They could put a lot of um, leaning on Coinbase, on Kraken, on you know other organizations where people you know on and offload their um, crypto for fiat. So that's why you know decentralized exchanges and then you know just using it you know comes into play, and and people should always try and remember that and use that and, you know, always remember not your keys, not your crypto. But, you know, at the end of the day, it turns into a security. Yeah, there could be big fines. There could be big rules put in place that, listen, I know you guys messed up and here's the fine, but go over to our buddies, Prometheum, and now you can do everything, you know, in their house and, and with under, under their rules. So uh, there could be, you know, a lot of roadblocks and choke points set up. And, you know, how how much it affects the industry is a huge question mark, but they can't stop it all. You know, they cannot stop it all. And it really comes down to are you, the user, going to be courageous and continue to use it um, the way that crypto was designed? Or are these choke points and threats going to make you submit or be a little less likely to you know, use the asset? And so... You know, they're banking on fear and cowardice. And, you know, I'm banking on that everybody's going to be courageous and stand up to government corruption. We're going to see how it plays out, baby. Yeah, you know, Abs always talks about on this show, you can't go after, they don't have the resources to go after all the folks of this space or every single crypto blockchain. So what do you do? You hit them, you know, choke point, like you said, go after the big exchanges. But it's funny you said something so important. I tell, you know, try to talk about it all the time. It's not what you know, Freddie. It's who you know. And you're absolutely right. If you don't prosecute, you're probably in good shape. Freddie, I'd love to ask you a more specific question about as this all plays out before our eyes, I think the crypto landscape is changing dramatically. So if you were to look out 24 months, 36 months, the XRP lawsuit's over, Bitcoin's over $100,000. Where do you think regulatory, where do you think regulation from Congress pushes this industry? Do you see us in two to three years moving away from the speculative bubble of really interesting people who are focused on a new asset class? Do you see us in the next two to three years because of regulation, crypto going from speculation to mainstream? What's your opinion? I think it's definitely going mainstream, but how far and how quickly we get there is really going to be impacted by the U.S. elections that are coming up this year. I mean, there's just no two ways around it. Everybody still looks, you know, uh, fair or unfair. All the other countries and their financial regulators still look to the U.S. and take a lot of cues from the U.S. Now that's changing. How fast it's going to change is up for debate, but if we get an election where a bunch of anti-crypto candidates end up winning, well, then we're going to be in a little bit of a rough spot for the next 12 to 24 months. But if we have a lot of crypto-friendly candidates that win, then it is going to be very, very beneficial because there's nothing that's going to bring us uh, crypto clarity then when the politicians, uh, some of them lose their power because of their anti-crypto stance and others gain power because of their pro-crypto stance. So I would just say in, in, in closing on this topic, uh, from my opinion, is that I know, you know not every politician is perfect and everybody's got a lot of issues out there and that they're passionate about. But 
You've got to, if you're a crypto person, only be a one issue uh, voter come the election here in the US, which is pro crypto. You have to make that very well known and you have to reach out to the candidates. And it's not that hard. Listen, you send a couple of emails, you make a couple of calls. A lot of the candidates or their staff will call you back and will actually respond to you. And if you can get your friends to do that, it will make a big difference, even a small amount of people. So just be one issue um, these elections. And because, you know, if you become crypto rich, whatever your, your pet issue is, you can make a lot more change when you've got a lot more zeros in your bank account. So just keep that in mind when you go to the polls uh, this November and make sure you are very focused on pro crypto candidates. Guys, we're already 44 minutes into this episode and really is just one of the fastest episodes we've ever done on Good Morning Crypto. So if you're enjoying this content, show us some love and smash that like button. Jenna, we're going to close this out with some tokenization. But first, I wanted to ask Freddie Riz just one more question here because we've talked about how the SEC doesn't have the uh, it doesn't have the tools to go after 22,000 projects. It doesn't have the resources. That was the word I'm looking for. But they do have the resources to go after seven major exchanges. So the question I have for you is this. You broke down elections previously and how that's going to change the state of crypto in the USA. Do you believe with Gary Gensler as head of the SEC, because he will be there until 2025, he will be there all through 2024, and then I believe his term ends in December of 2025, do you think that while Gary Gensler is still sitting with the agency, we could see these regulatory changes come to fruition? Or are we going to need Gary Gensler to be gone before the lobbyists change their opinion? Everything will be easier with him gone. At the same time, I, I can't be too hard on Gary because if you look back at his old MIT stuff, he does get crypto and he was arguably pro-crypto at some point, or at least definitely not as anti as he is now. And again, he's not a guy with principles or morals. He can change his mind on a dime if the right incentives are, are put in front of him. And, you know, as much as it might be hard to stomach for everybody, those incentives could just be, hey, we're going to give you a promotion and now you can go somewhere else. Uh, so that's one way to kind of get him out of the picture. But the other one, you know, uh, is you like politics, you like power. You're never going to be in uh, any of those powerful situations again unless you don't do a 180 degree turn on what you've been doing at the SEC now. And, and I do think he would change in an instant as long as the quote price is right. You know, the power position is right for him. So it's always going to be easier in Congress uh, to get it done. But, you know, Gary's not as much of an impediment. He doesn't need to be as much as an impediment as people make him out to be. Johnny, I'm going to kick it straight to you because we've had some great debates on this show about whether Gary Gensler himself is responsible for these decisions or if the lobbyists behind him are the ones pushing these policies forward. So I'd love to give you a chance to respond and we'll move forward. Oh, you know where I stand on it, Abs. I've been very consistent. There's no doubt in my mind that Gary has got, you know, like everybody else, has a boss and he's just doing what his boss wants him to do. And I've told you, if the sentiment above him changes towards crypto and it's pro-crypto, You'd see the happiest, friendliest Gary, Gary Gensler out there. You'd all love Gary Gensler. We'd be talking about how great we love Gary Gensler on this show. Gary Gensler is just doing what he's being told to do. We know at MIT he was pro-crypto. Now he's anti-crypto. It's just because his boss is anti-crypto. So two things have to happen. We either need to change at the top. The whole administration has got to go. New administration come in. That could happen with an election. Or the administration now feels it's ready. It's in place just the way we saw 
uh, BlackRock CEO, right? He did a completely 180 WWE heel flip, and he went from hating crypto to loving crypto. Why? Because they put everything in place. They got all everything ready to go for the Bitcoin ETF. And when it was ready, all of a sudden, did you hear Gary yesterday when he said that, Gary? Larry? Larry said, hey. <laughs> he said, BTC crypto, it's like gold. Like, now it's gold. Two years ago, it was like, oh, my God, stay away from this scammy stuff. It's, you know, this is stuff you got to stay away from. It's a scam. It's the fear. Now he's promoting is the next best thing since sliced bread, right? So the reality is when they are ready, when they're ready, you will hear them say, hey, Gary would be the most pro-crypto guy you're ever going to see. But will that happen? Well, it depends on the sentiment at the top in the election. So we'll have to wait and see. 2024 will be very exciting, especially if we get a change at the top. I think we're going to see a very, very different Gary Gensler. Jenna, we talked a little bit. I'm going to change the conversation just slightly here because we've talked a lot about the amendments being approved on the XRPL and how 2024 is going to be a huge year for innovation, regardless of adoption. We're seeing MTLs come into effect, automated market maker, hooks, smart contracts, tokenized assets. It sounds like a fantasy, right? There's so many positive headlines, but the price is yet to respond. So I just wanted to give you the open floor here. The community is overly pessimistic, in my opinion. That's how I felt when the Ripple lawsuit came to fruition. Everybody was down on Ripple. That's when I purchased my bags. I doubled up. I saw seven, 17 cent XRP, immediately went into Coinbase. It's a real story. And I bought as much as I could because I knew we were at some local bottom. And I do want to give a shout out to Coach JV because he's always been spot on by the fear. Wait till people are, don't buy the bullish news, right? If everyone was super excited about XRP right now, I would be concerned. But the fact that everybody is so negative wants to move into other projects. I got people calling me a Cardano guy now. It's like we're in an alternate reality here, Jenna. But I just wanted to ask you, when you look at 2024, you've been in this market for six, seven years. What are some of the things you're most excited about for XRP? Is it smart contracts, tokenization, automated market makers? What sticks out most to you? Um, okay, wow, loaded question. You hit so much abs. No, I have to fully agree with you though. Um, the sentiment has been really low. And right now I'm seeing a lot of the community start to lose faith and give up, right? Why it's so hard to sit and watch, you know, all these other tokens go up while your token isn't doing anything. But whenever others are fearful, we know we have to be greedy. I love that, you know, Warren Buffett said that, Coach JV, it's 100% the truth. And everybody just wants to know when, when price go up, when moon. So they think with this AMM, with this amendment, you know, most people won't even use an AMM. I mean, Blockchain Backer put out a survey um, a couple weeks ago that asked how many of you guys really know how to use a DEX? How many of you have actually used it? And an overwhelming amount of the community have never even used the XRPL DEX. Like these, these are issues. So let's look at the real reason that people want AMMs because they want the price of their XRP to go up. And David Swartz accidentally made the comment, might not have been by accident, calling them automatic money makers. And of course, everyone's ear perked up. So we know that right now the AMMs were delayed a little bit because there was a bug. Okay, it's really important for the health of the ledger that these problems get fixed before you release them or they can cause really, really huge problems. You know, we've waited 10 years for an AMM. What is three more weeks? And apparently the problem has already been solved. So definitely looking forward to that. Um, but it's really important that people understand how to use an AMM, what a liquidity pool is, and study things like impermanent loss. So these are things for the community, but I'm super excited about that. Um, I'm super excited about hooks, smart contracts in the XRPL. Another um, you know, thing that I'm seeing is a lot of people want XRP um, to be Ethereum. 
the XRPL is not Ethereum. And if we start adding smart contracts directly onto the XRPL, this can actually end up causing, you know, another multi-billion dollar problem, which David Schwartz has told us. So you have to be really, really careful about these things and, you know, the developments and they do everything slowly for a reason. You know, if the network's getting really, really congested and the fees are getting high, it's not doing what it set out to do. So I'm definitely excited about everything that we have moving forward to look for and all of the developers that are, you know, developing on the side chains and everything. But I think that, you know, the XRPL is right where it needs to be and things are progressing as they should be. Jenna, one quick follow up for you, because you've been in the community for such a long time. When you talk about the sentiment of the community being pessimistic, that's relatively new, right? XRP used to get hit. With, we got hit with the lawsuit. We've been through the mud and through the whole time there was optimism within the XRP community. But for the first time ever, I'm seeing some people who I've been friends with two or three years tell me they're mm -hmm. selling their XRP. They're moving into Chainlink. They're moving into Solana. I am not one of those members because I'm actually more optimistic than ever because all the things that we've been breaking down over the last 20, 30 minutes. And if you go to the beginning of our episode, guys, which I'll do the timestamps after the show, listen to what Fred Raspoli broke down about the impact of this lawsuit officially being over and what it means for companies with inside the United States. So Jenna, I just wanted you to address some of the sentiment in the community because in my opinion, I look for the pessimism and I jump on the opportunity. Mm -hmm. What is your perspective? Are you negative? Are you optimistic? Where's your head at? Okay, so I went into purchasing XRP because they were getting sued by the SEC. And I saw it as an opportunity to buy cheap XRP. Now, like a lot of others, I didn't think that I would get discount XRP for this long. Um, I've just learned how to diversify. And I think others in the XRP community are learning to diversify as well. But I think it's really important not to tear each other apart. And um, I've been hopping into a lot more Twitter spaces recently. And I'm seeing that people are really trying to step up and kind of be a glue. But I think what happened was people came into this community and they got hit with so much hopium that XRP would be a world reserve currency and that there would be a flip the switch moment overnight and that their XRP would turn to $10,000 per coin and that all of their financial problems would just be solved overnight. And when that didn't happen, people started to begin to get depressed. And how long can you hold something, you know, at you know, 50 cents and it doesn't move? Is this really a stable coin? So I think there are all these questions, but the true believers of it still hold, they still are learning about everything that Ripple's doing, the ecosystem. Um, they're actually using XRP. People are building on the XRPL. So I think that there is still hope there. We just, those of us who still believe in it need to put it out there, but we need to put it out there with realistic expectations and stop focusing so much on price appreciation. This may very well be an asset that we pass down to our grandchildren. So it's important to keep an open mind and diversify our portfolio, of course. And Freddie, I'd love to come back to you for just a little reference of what we've seen in the past and how we can apply it to the future. When Bitcoin broke its all-time high back in 2020 or 2021, I believe, so it was December 14th, 2020, right before the Ripple lawsuit, uh, it breaks all-time high. And what did we see? We saw XRP go from $0.17 cents to $1.90 in only four months in the midst of an SEC lawsuit, no adoption, no regulation going on. This leads me to be much more optimistic this time around for two reasons. First of all, the lawsuit's over. Whether it happens in April or it happens in May, this thing is coming to a close, and that really gets me excited. But the second thing is I understand how this market works. We get waves of liquidity that flood through the market. Starts with Bitcoin, goes to ETH, and goes to some of these other altcoins. And as I'm showing you right now, this is a chart from Kevin Cage. He highlighted, in four months, we did an 11X with XRP with no positive news, just from money, 
circulating through the market, no positive headlines. That leads me to believe that this time could be even more optimistic because, first of all, there's no lawsuit. Second of all, we're seeing adoption globally and inside the United States. But third, there's more market in the cryptocurrency sector than there's ever been before. And I think the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap is going to profit off of a lot of that liquidity. So I'd love to get some of your thoughts. When you're comparing market cycles, obviously, you're a lawyer. You do that type of stuff for a living. But just looking at the market more broadly, I think XRP has a ton of opportunity regardless of the negative sentiment. Yeah, I do too. And you're right. I uh, am a lawyer and not a market mover because I don't know how many people know this, but during that boom from 17 cents to almost $2, uh, your boy Freddie Riz rode that all the way up to the top and bottom without selling anything. And Johnny failed me by not having Merlin available at that time to help me, you know, have all my sell orders. And, you know, I could have tripled my XRP holdings, you know, sold at the top, bought at the bottom. But anyway, I'm not salty about that in any way, shape or form. Um, but I will say that I, like you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a believer in the cycles. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be that way forever, but it's so far that way until it isn't. And I think XRP's time is still going to come in the next run that we're getting tantalizingly close to. And, you know, I know it's frustrating to a lot of people, certainly frustrated uh, to me as well, but you just got to trust that you, you know, your thesis is, you know, a valid one and that it made sense and nothing's changed. The fundamentals haven't changed. The, you know, the core value proposition of XRP hasn't changed. And, you know, it, this thing looks like it is coiled and ready to go. And we just got to let that coil spring. And Johnny, if that's yeah. not a reason to have an exit plan, I genuinely don't know what it is. I know the plug's coming, my friend. We've been friends for far too long. But we got 635 <laughs> live listeners here. Show us some love and smash that like button. We got a couple minutes left in the show. But one of the things I wanted to end with, Johnny, is this fact right here. Ripple signed the standard custody deal allowing crypto custody inside the United States. And what Freddie broke down is how he rode the wave from 17 to $1.90 back on the all the way down on the back end to 20 cents. That's why we talk about Merlin every single day, guys. We're not telling you to sell 100 or 90% of your crypto assets. Take 5% off the table, move it to the side, and specifically put it towards allocating into the future of a crypto market. You make money, you have to pull profits because we will ride it back down on the back end. So that wasn't the best way of describing it, but you know what I'm trying to get out here, Johnny. Why don't you close this out for today? I think the good news for Freddie is now Merlin does exist. You can create an exit plan. Click on the link below, Freddie, free 30 days. But more importantly, you can build an exit plan so that as your coins start going up, as Ab said, you're taking small pieces out. Because listen, here's the bottom line, Freddie, right? None of us know where the top is. None of us know where the bottom is, although you kind of know when it starts to curve over. You want to make sure you're just pulling some profits. Nobody ever loses money if you're taking profits. And that's what we all want to do here. We're trying to figure out strategies that we could deploy here to say hey we know we're in an industry that's early it's moving up but we also know it's going to come down there's going to be these peaks and valleys, and we want to be able to profit off those why so then we can reinvest them later on and boy you know freddie i made the same mistake as you uh, you know that's why i met in merlin right it was like wait we're sitting here we're watching things go up we're not taking profits on the way up and then we're just sitting here on the downside saying, man, that was stupid, right? We don't want to do that. And we wanted to put a tool in the hands of people that people can actually see what their portfolios are doing, get some alerts, take some profits, and be able to reinvest those in whatever you want to do, whether it's more crypto or real estate or cans of tuna, gold, whatever. The point is, take some profits, learn how to play the game. And uh, as Coach always says, and, and Jenna touched it, 
buy when you want to puke. When it feels bad, that's when you should be buying. And it when it feels good and it feels like it's going up, that's what you need to be selling. And unfortunately, think about what I just told you. That means you have to do the opposite of what your brain thinks. And that's very, very hard to do, Abs. Thank you so much, Johnny. And we only got 40 seconds left in the show, but I want to give a special thank you to Jenna and a special thank you to Freddie Riz as well as Johnny Crypto this morning. We got 625 live listeners here. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And let me remind our listeners of one quick thing. Sorry to cut the music here. XRP oh. Unleashed. Hey, XRP Unleashed is coming out in 2024 and we are recording right now. So if you'd like to do it, go and check out my Twitter account. I'm going to show you the Twitter page so you can get live updates. It is called Fruition Films on Twitter. But with that being said, we love you guys. We'll see you in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors.